Um, as Lee said, this morning we're c- continuing a three-part series on freedom in Christ. And last week he opened us up um, talking about what real freedom is and that real freedom comes f- when we surrender to Jesus. It's, it seems like... Um, Irony, is that the right word? (laughs) Or an oxymoron. But when we surrender to Jesus, we have freedom from the fear of death. We have freedom to walk in relationship with God. And we have freedom um, to be all that he created us to be. And so surrender is how we experience that freedom. But today we're going to zero in, like he said, on a specific topic that we all have experience with. And I think I know for a fact Some of us, we sit and we hear about, we're going to talk about shame, and we think, I don't have a problem with that. Every single person in this room has experienced shame, and probably still does to some degree. It's something that we all encounter on almost a daily basis. No matter how mature you are, you encounter shame. Um, It's something that we can experience without even being fully conscious of it. In fact, a lot of times we're just not unless we're paying attention. Um, But it's important to be attentive to it because it is the emotional weapon that the enemy uses to corrupt our relationship with God and with each other. And it's a primary means of preventing us from using the gifts that God has given us to change the world and be all that he created us to be. So like we talked about, being all that he created us to be The enemy uses shame more than any other weapon to prevent that. Um, A couple years ago, I was in a season of what I thought might be burnout. I was um, frustrated. I guess probably I should just call it anger (laughs) because I was angry. Uh, You know how sometimes you just have an angry day? Have you ever just had an angry day where you're just irritated all the time? I had like a few angry weeks. (laughs) I'm like, something's not right here. Um, I was disappointed. I was, and, and at the same time feeling sad. And, um, if I told you the reasons that I felt that way, you would probably say it was justifiable. Go, yeah, well, it makes sense that you're angry. It makes sense that you were disappointed. That's totally understandable. Um, but I also felt really guilty for feeling the way that I did. Any of you ever experienced that feeling guilty for the way that you feel, (laughs) right? Um, so I called a counselor that the vineyard had set us up with when we planted the church. They had us, they take care of their people. So I called a counselor and, um, I told him everything and I expected him to tell me the books that I needed to read and that I needed to get rest because I wasn't taking care of myself and yada, yada, yada. Um, and instead he shocked me by saying that I was most likely in a cycle of shame. I went, what? And so this is what I I mean when I say a lot of times we don't even, are not even conscious of it. And since then, I've been learning more and more about how shame is sneaky. And it may originate in our emotions, but it also wreaks havoc in our minds. And it completely um, dictates our behavior if we let it. Uh, Shame is born out of a sense of there being something wrong with me. Or what a lot of us deal with, not being enough. Um, 
And it carries with it the idea of being unable or powerless to change my condition or circumstances. So not only do I feel like I'm not enough, I also feel powerless to change it. That's, it's different from guilt in that shame separates us from others. And when we feel ashamed, we're virtually consumed with our inner turmoil. We're consumed with how we feel, right? And, and we're not only feeling that shame, but we feel responsible for that feeling, right? So that's why it's a vicious cycle, because we, um, we feel bad for feeling bad. And um, this is where I was when I called that counselor. Because in several areas of my life, I felt like I just wasn't enough. I just wasn't cutting it. It wasn't going well. And I felt bad for feeling that way because that's not what God says about me. God doesn't say I'm not enough. (laughs) But that's how I felt. And then I felt bad. (laughs) See how it's a vicious cycle. Um, Guilt, though, causes us to feel the pain we have caused another person. And it actually draws our attention to the other person when we're feeling guilty about something. Maybe we've hurt somebody else or we've done something. It actually causes us to want to repair the damage. Shame doesn't do that. Shame isolates, and it causes us to hide. And when it does that, it reinforces itself, and it roots deeper. Um, So maybe you can identify with my story, or maybe you can point to a traumatic moment where shame embedded itself in your soul. Most of shame's activity doesn't take place, though, in evident ways, and it it ends up more in in an accumulation of small moments. So, for example, you step out of the shower, and you see yourself in the mirror, and you feel like, I'm never going to lose that weight. I'm never going to be able to fix this, that, or the other thing. We all think critical thoughts when we look in the mirror. And then... A little later on, you recall the argument that you had with your spouse, and you wonder if you'll ever be enough. And then you go to work, and you make a mistake at work or at school, and you think, I'm so stupid. I'm never going to get it. Shame is all about stopping movement. It's all about shutting down conversation. Or it's all about acting too quickly or too slowly to, uh, for the fear of making mistakes right? Or avoiding confrontation, even when there's a rupture that needs repair in a relationship. Shame is all about avoiding that, that repair. And I think those are things that we can all identify with in some way. You guys are so quiet today. Either I'm hitting home or you're tired. (laughs) Um, But it literally causes disintegration in the mind. It literally slows our process of growing in maturity, and science backs this. So if you want to read, I'm going to give you just a little little tiny snippet of what happens in our brain when shame, um, when we have a shame thought or feeling. Um, But if you want to read more about it, um, get the book. It's called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. He's a psychologist who wrote this book. It's amazing. So um, here's what happens. When we experience shame, or when I experience shame, my prefrontal cortex goes offline. So my logical thought processes, which usually help me make good choices, are unavailable to regulate my right brain. 
So you guys that go to camp, this is where our kids are at all the time. All the time, right? So, but you experience this too when you experience shame. And then what happens is my memory brings up past times that I have felt that same emotion. And then we begin to construct a narrative that predicts a pessimistic future. So not only that, all that is happening because of the emotion of shame just came up in us and then we can't make good choices. We're thinking about other times we felt that way and we're thinking pessimistically about our future. And then we physically and mentally turn away. We hide. And with the healing of shame comes the freedom to live more fully the way God intended because he does not want us to go through that cycle. So we're going to look at what God has to say about experiencing healing and freedom from shame. But first, I'd like to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that you are already working, that you're already moving, that you've already been at work. But we just ask that you would come and that you would um, invade our hearts, invade our minds. God, I pray that there would be nothing in us that would shut down or or pull away or, or distract ourselves from what you want to say to us this morning but that we would be in tune with you and that we would listen and we would um, hear your voice calling us and drawing us closer. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, we were given a model for an approach to shame. So we're going to read it together. I mean, don't read it out loud, but I'll read it. I'll read it. You read it silently. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So if you remember one thing this morning, remember this. Freedom from shame requires intentional, communal action. Intentional, communal action. Remember, hiding is the natural response to shame. This began in the Garden of Eden. So the serpent uses, actually uses shaming tactics to entice Eve and apparently Adam because he was standing there just watching the whole thing go down, right? And he entices Eve to eat the fruit. And then we read that they notice each other's nakedness and they cover their own, Right? Prior to that, originally, they were naked and unashamed, the Bible says. But as soon as shame entered the picture, as soon as sin entered the picture, um, they essentially cut parts of each other out of their lives, right? They began to hide a little bit more from each other. They didn't really sin against each other, though, did they? I mean, maybe because they stood there together. I don't know. 
They sinned against God, but their first instinct was to hide from each other. Um, And then they do the same with God, right? They hear him walking and they hide. And it almost seems silly that they hide from God, doesn't it? But don't we do that too? (laughs) Don't we try to hide from God? And we hide from each other. And we even try to hide from ourselves. Because there are parts of ourselves that we don't want to know. And maybe if we pretend they're not there, we don't have to deal with them or look at them or let God touch them. Um, We assume, because there are parts of, of ourselves that we don't like, we assume that God doesn't either. And we hide from our spouse. We hide from our fellow church members, right? We live in a culture where we are afraid to reveal who we are for the fear of being shamed for who we are. Who's, I mean, how many times do you see people being really real on Facebook? Like, really real. I mean, there's like, I can count them on one hand. Most of the time, we, we show the best of our lives on Facebook, don't we? I mean, of course, I don't know. If we should get really real on Facebook, what we should be doing is being really real with each other. But um, our problem is not just the distress that we're sensing when we feel the shame, but our problem is that we don't feel adequate to respond to it. So we hide. But look at verse 2 again. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2. It says, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And other translations say scorning, um, or there's one that says despising. But all of these words refer to an intentional act rather than being reactive. So Jesus did not pretend it wasn't there. He did not pretend the shame wasn't there. He didn't shy away from crucifixion, which was a very shameful way to die. But he approached it head on. And then he scorned the shame that it represented. So I believe, and psychological studies back this, that the the rest of the scripture gives us some steps to take in this process so that we can disregard shame as well. So the scripture says that we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. And that emphasizes that we're not alone on our journey So one of the first and most helpful steps in combating shame, and you're going to love it, I say sarcastically, community where confession and validation take place. This is the most important way to fight shame, is community where confession and validation takes place. These are relationships where we can hear more clearly the delight that the Father has in us and how much he loves us. Telling the truth about our shame takes practice, and it takes endurance, like the scripture says, but it is necessary for healing. It is a must. So shame would, be, shame would like nothing more than for us to believe that we should be able to work out our problems on our own. We should be able to do this by ourselves. Us and Jesus, we can do it, right? We're so independent. (laughs) Uh, And shame would like for us to believe that we 
can just, we should just be able to do our best at everything. We can limit our mistakes to prevent being abandoned. Aren't that, isn't that what we're afraid of? When we speak what we're ashamed of, we're afraid we're going to be abandoned. And when you're in a community where you, or where you're in a relationship where you can confess to someone, now I'm not just talking about sin, I'm talking about other shame as well, right? That did not come from sin. Whether you're, so whether you're guilty or not, when you confess to someone and a person responds with love and compassion, you suddenly feel less alone. And you find that you're not abandoned. They don't leave you. I mean, this is what we do at camp, right? The kids can tell us anything, and we don't leave them. That was one of our, one of the kids wrote the first year, second year of camp on his Why I Like RFK, because people don't leave you even though they may want to. That's what real community is. That's Jesus' community. We don't leave each other when we confess things to one another. Um, And then you literally, this is, again, science. You literally grow in resilience as you learn how to loosen shame's grip on life by living transparently as possible. So when you share with someone, not only do you find that you're not abandoned, you find you're not alone, you release because shame loves to hide, remember? And, and so that's where it, where it sits. And it has that grip on you as long as you let it hide. But when you bring it to light, it loses its power. And then you find, oh, I'm not abandoned after all. I'm not alone. Right? And then you grow in resilience and you can live more transparently. You can do it. You can practice and get better at it. And not only that, but when shame is exposed and healed in the, per- in the person revealing it, so if I'm sharing with Linda and I'm telling her something and I'm, I'm, feel- I'm, be- I'm receiving healing through that encounter, not only that, but the listener, Linda, experiences enhanced integration as well. Her brain lights up. And things start to work better. I'm not going to go into all that. That would bore you. But she starts to get, gain resilience too. So sometimes, don't we resist sharing with someone because we feel like we're going to be a burden? We're going to be too much. Right? Uh, I sh- there, we go back to that. I should be able to do this by myself. And we're afraid that that person is going to feel like, oh, they're so needy. No, no, you're helping them too. You got to remember that their resilience is growing too. Their integration is increasing too. So this requires a lot of courage, but we have to foster these relationships where we hear the truth. The truth is that we are loved, that we are um, accepted before behaving, and that we are not abandoned. Okay, so next, the scripture says, we put aside the sin that distracts so that we can run our race. Now, sin pulls our attention away from relationship. When our focus is taken off of God's voice that we are loved and that he is pleased with us, it's much easier for us to walk into sin just like Eve did. Eve was planted, the serpent planted all kinds of shame and doubt in Eve's mind. And what did she do? Walk away from relationship with God. 
and into sin. Confession of sin, though, is not a shortcut, but it is the first step to admitting responsibility and not allowing shame to get a hold. Because if we just let it sit there again and we don't talk about it, shame gets a hold. In, in psychotherapy, they say that you have to name things to tame things. And so naming our sin allows us to observe it differently. Uh, it, it gives shame less opportunity to take root. God does not use shame as a motivator to get us to behave. So if you feel shame, that's not, his. That's not him. Now, you might feel conviction, but you're not going to feel shame. Because shame says, I am bad, not I did something bad. It, it says, I am bad. He doesn't use that. He uses the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans 2, 4, that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his shame. And then lastly, Hebrews tells us to fix our attention on Jesus. So we are called to watch and do what he does. Now God tells all of his sons and daughters, he tells us the same thing, just like he told Jesus. You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But what set Jesus apart is that he heard that and then he acted on it. Um, shame will do everything it can to distract us from that message. Uh, right after his baptism, Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted. Right? And in all of Satan's temptations, he basically questions God's pleasure with Jesus. If God really loved you that much, why would he make it this hard? You have all these gifts, use them. Basically what he told Jesus you have all these gifts, use them. Or maybe God doesn't love you the way you think he does. <laughs> and Satan wanted to convey that what Jesus planned to do for us through the crucifixion and the resurrection was not going to be enough. Thus, here are some other options. And Jesus comes back each time with, it is written. Now, for any first century Jew, what is written is shorthand for God says. God says. So it draws Jesus' Jesus's attention. He draws his own attention to God's voice, reminding him who he is and what he's there to do. And it keeps him connected to the Father the whole time. And so we have to shift our attention from shame and the story that shame is trying to tell us and put it on the story that is true, which is the story God's trying to tell us in this situation. So, um, I believe that this is true, that talking about shame causes us to feel shame a lot of times, right? Oh, that's me. Ah. <laughs> I don't want you to feel that way. That's the point of this message. <laughs> Shame, talking about shame can cause us to feel uncomfortable sometimes. And it can be um, really, really difficult to reveal the deep parts of us, but that is shame at work. And I want to encourage you to take a step today out of your comfort zone toward greater freedom. If you really want to be free, you have to find somebody to talk to. So I want to just... Ask, is there someone you talk to, you can talk to regularly to whom you can reveal the deep parts of you? 
me think about who you can reach out to even today. Now, for me, in the moment that I was in, um, of course, I didn't know I was in a shame cycle, but sometimes you have to call a counselor. Sometimes you got to go to a therapist. There's no shame in that. <laughs> in fact, most healthy people go and get counseling at some point in their life or throughout, right? So it help, keeps us, and that's why therapy, one of the reasons why therapy can be so um, healing is because we are sharing those things. We are confessing those things to somebody that we can trust, right? And our desire, Lee and my desire, is for this church to be one of those kind of communities. And I believe that we are. I really do. I honestly, you guys are some of the best people ever. I'm a little biased, but because... <laughs> I believe that, honestly, I could go to anybody in this room and I could tell you something that I feel might make me look bad and, and you wouldn't think differently of me. And if that's true for me, that's true for any one of you. So I encourage you to...